If you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke 6, 45, and also Matthew 15. Um, as a part of my uh, story, I'm going to open with that, just a couple of passages there um, that we'll get to in just a moment. Uh, but uh, I do have notes for my story because it's, uh, I know my story, um, but it's quite complex uh, in the way that I have laid it out and the way that looking back in hindsight, um, I, I realized what led, one thing led to another. Um, and so I, I did this for your sake for time because um, in its complexity, it could take, uh, I could take a long time in sharing it. And so I want to um, stay focused on the parts that I want to share today in the limited time that we have. Um, I grew up in uh, a home with Christian parents. Um, my dad was and is uh, a pastor. He's a bivocational pastor now. He was a su supply pastor for most of my life where um, kind of an interim pastor, maybe you've heard that terminology. So if a church was without a pastor, he would go and fill in for a week or two or whatever that might be. Um, and so there were times on Sundays, um, I was at strangers' houses taking naps in between services because there was Sunday morning and Sunday night. We would go to lunch at their house or maybe lunch at a restaurant, and then we would go to their house um, and spend the day. And so uh, there are times that when I go speak at a church or a retreat or something like that, they'll ask me, um, do, do you want us to put you in a hotel or are you okay with a host home? And I'll take the host home because um, I'm used to strangers. I like strangers. And so Nikki is the opposite. She doesn't understand how I can do that. Um, but it saves the church money. And so just put me in a host home. I'll meet new friends. And so that's how I grew up. That's what I was used to. And so I came to faith at a young age and I was allowed to serve in ministry um, at a very very young age, like the age of 11 and 12 years old. Um, I got to serve alongside my dad at migrant ministries down in South Georgia and in South Carolina. Um, I, I had to sing in church as a child. When we would go to those churches, um, I would have to sing for those tears I died over and over and over again. And so uh, I, I have been in church. Church has been my life. My story isn't one of growing up in a broken home or struggling with um, substance abuse, as many of you have heard with um, some of the stories here. But my story is one of a struggle that oftentimes is easier to, um, to hide and not be so public as maybe substance abuse. It's, it's about a subtle poison that many people actually would justify me taking and, and even use things like, hey, hey, I don't blame you, or, or I would probably do the same thing, but I don't want you to do the same thing. I, I want to spare you the heartache, and I want to spare you um, the struggle that I went through and that I dealt with in my own life. My, my story is about a poison that destroys not only its host, but also every other relationship and everything it cares about, sometimes subtly and sometimes very blatantly. And so while it's th this, this poison, th this struggle is destroying me, um, I'm justifying in my own life um, why it's okay to very, you know, why it's okay to keep it close to my life, why it's okay to continue to partake, partake in it. Um, why I was justified in it. And, and so before I get to my story, I want you to learn from my story from the very beginning. And that's where Luke 6.45 comes in. And it says this, a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. I want you to write this down. Our life produces exactly what we plant in our heart. 
Our life produces exactly what we plant in our heart. Whether it is something that has happened to you or something you have participated in, the more that we um, uh, plant the, the wickedness, the, the bad, the evil in our heart, um, the more that's going to be what we produce. It's gonna, we're going to produce exactly what we plant in our life. If we plant the good and the righteousness and those things, those are the things that we can expect to produce out of our life. The Bible says for um, out of the, the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So that's not just words, but that's also actions. It, it's telling us a, an action that's taking place. The mouth is speaking. What we do, and you can see this in other parts of Scripture, um, is what is produced out of our heart. That's what Jesus said. If we produce anything good from our life, it's because we stored good things in our heart. And if we produce anything bad or evil, it's because we've planted bad or evil things in our heart. You always produce what you've previously planted. You cannot plant um, strawberry seeds and expect to get tomatoes. It's not going to happen. You can't plant one thing and expect to produce something else. What you plant is what you're going to get. Matthew 15, 18 to 19 says, But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a person. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. You can write this down. Your heart is the source of your defilement. Your heart is the source of your defilement. Evil words, thoughts, and behaviors aren't external things that we participate in. And so we can't modify our behavior and see lasting life change that's why you can't convince someone to change their behavior and have long-lasting change. We see this fail in marriages and in relationships all the time. So I grew up in a very legalistic environment. I tell people all the time that when we went to, uh, in the church that my dad was a supply pastor in, if you joined the church, you've got a, essentially a rule book of rules you had to follow. And it was all about external behaviors. Then we went to a more extreme legalistic um, uh, kind of part of the Baptist um, association. Um, there's about a hundred different Baptists. That's why you can't label Baptists in just one way because there's various different kinds of Baptists. And so this was more of a fundamentalist movement and it was, it was on hyperdrive. And so it was all about behavior modification. It was all about proving your salvation or proving your Christianity through your external behavior. And so as I share with you today part of my story, part of that struggle came in um, trying to modify external behavior rather than um, what was going on in the heart. And the same is true for every one of us. We can't just modify our external behavior and have lasting life change. It just can't be done. Um, and, and that's why we see this fail all the time, because you as a, a spouse might say, look, you need to stop doing this. You need to start doing this. And if the heart has not been changed, then the, the, nothing's going to change. It'll be temporary. Or you will see those behaviors participate and, and come out in other ways. You're not defiled by your outward behavior. Your behavior is defiled because of evil stored in your heart. We're defiled by what we allow to be stored inside of us. And I know this because I've lived this for a long time. For me, as far back as I can track, it started in middle school when a girl, and I have to preference this all the time, she was much larger than me because I'm a guy and there's stereotype, you know, if you get hurt by a girl and all that. She, she was a larger girl. She was about the size of um, 
and I'm not being mean, she was about the size of one of our football linemen at our school. And we were actually having a good time. Her brother, my, uh, my, my other siblings were there, and we were playing, and she took my hat, and she um, like walked off with it. And so when I went to go get it, she pushed me from behind, and my chin hit the ground, and it seriously injured my neck. And so I couldn't move my head for two days. My mom was out of town. When she came back to town, um, we, she set up an appointment for the chiropractor. And when I went to the chiropractor, the, the doctor said for me to be fully corrected and healed, it was going to take an extensive treatment plan in order to make that happen. It was going to be multiple weeks at four times a week going to the, the, the doctor for treatment. Then it narrowed down to three times, then two times until my neck was properly um, healed. And, and so my, on the x-ray, my neck actually looked like it was going the opposite direction from the force of the impact on the ground. Well, my dad was a pastor at the time. He was a full-time pastor at this time, and he couldn't afford the treatment. And so um, there was a simple solution to that, though, and that was um, make the girl's parents pay for the treatment because the girl injured me. But because they were friends, they uh, didn't make them. They didn't even ask them to. And interestingly enough, the parents didn't even offer to. And so here I am as a young person, I loved sports, um, this, now, this injury is now affecting just about everything that I do. I can only go to the doctor when I have serious pain because we can't afford the treatment plan. And so I'm a pitcher in baseball, I, I play left field in baseball, I play basketball, and now this injury is affecting everything that I do and everything that I love. And so I got angry. I got angry at my parents for not making her pay uh, or her parents pay. And most importantly, I, I, I got angry at her for injuring me. She, she was the one that injured me. And at the time, as a middle schooler, you're not putting in perspective that you were just having a good time. It was probably an accident. Like, you don't care about that. All you care about is yourself and what you're dealing with. And, and now this injury that's affecting your, 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 your sports and your life. And so there's nothing that I could do to her. There was nothing I could do to fix my neck. There was nothing that I could do to right the, the situation. There was nothing I could do to force my parents to make her pay so that I could get the treatment. And so I just got angry. And so what I could do is I could get angry at her. I could berate her. I could call her names. I could make fun of her. I could turn people against her. And I could do all manner of evil against her. And that's what I did. And so this anger and this unforgiveness, this bitterness with every word that I called her, with every name, with every act of, um, of evil towards her, in retribution, I stored this evil in my heart, subtly, quietly, and it began to build up. Well, um, I, I held on to that. We, we all kind of parted ways over time, and about four years later, at this same church, at this same um, school that was associated with the church. It, it, there was a Christian school associated with it. Um, times got a, a bit tough financially. Um, my dad had come in four years previously, and there were um, a lot of changes that had to be made. There was a lot of traditionalism, a lot of, thing, a lot of people that had power, a lot of people that had positions that held on to those for many years. And um, I remember one time playing basketball. I'm out on the court, and my dad comes out says something to the principal. The principal then goes out to the coach, and all of a sudden, like four or five guys are pulled off the basketball team, and those that were left, me included, had to play the entire game without any break. 
And what we had found out was the principal was wrongly allowing students to play um, with, with failing grades because they were good players. And the, the association found out and basically threatened to suspend us from being able to play in the league because of what was going on. So things like that were happening. And so as my dad's having to make difficult decisions with some of those uh, students and with some of those employees, the, the finances got tight. The church was doing great. We were baptizing people. We were seeing life change. The church was healthy, but the school needed some reform. And so in doing so, some, some tough decisions had to be made when it came to staffing and things like that. And so where some people were having to be laid off, my dad actually kept his administrative assistant because her husband's medication, he had MS. And his medication just by itself without uh, insurance was $900 a month um, to help treat his condition. And so instead of laying her off in mercy, he kept her so that they could keep their insurance. But she didn't like that because now being the pastor's secretary, there was changes and um, now she's a teacher of a third grade class. And so she was upset. One man, everybody that was involved in this situation, my dad had extended grace to at some point. um, And that's why they were there or they were retaining their job. And so one guy um, had lost his job from embezzlement and theft from SRS just a couple of years prior. And he had confessed, and, and with the other um, leaders in the church, they kind of restored him and went through a process. And so my dad offered him a job in the school as a facilitator. The way we did school at, at the high school was we had a, a system called the Link System, and it actually connected with a Christian college. And so we actually had Christian professors teaching us um, in high school at the college level. They, they were college professors, and, and it was a satellite class. And so it was kind of like online class like we have now, like y'all have now, you know, um, but, but it was through satellite and we had little call boxes and we just had a facilitator in the room. And so he was a facil- facilitator. And so, um, so he has his job because of this. And then the, uh, his associate pastor, who was also involved, was um, hired because he had left a former church, didn't have a ministry, didn't have a job. And so little did we know Um, there were meetings being had discussing uh, a takeover because people were being shifted and changed from their positions of power or leadership or whatever. There were tax documents being stolen. All of these things were happening. I remember going up to the church office one night. I don't know if the alarm was going off. I don't know what brought us there. I I wasn't that tuned in at the time. I was a teenager. All I remember is us going up to the church. It was late at night. My dad went into the office and someone had broken into the office, had broken a glass sliding window. There were only so many people that had keys into the facility. So we knew that it was somebody that, was, that had a key and that had some kind of access. The, the door where the tax and financial documents were, was broken, was broken into, and the documents were taken. And so these things are happening. And one day it just caught up and it just overwhelmed my dad. And we had no idea where he was. He just disappeared. He just started driving. We're worried. We, we, we have no idea what's going on. It, there's, it's chaos for our family that day. I left school early to drive home to, 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 to see, you know, was, was his clothes still there? Like, what, what was happening? I remember just prior to that, my sister and I having a very tough conversation because we had left one Christian school and one church where we had a bunch of friends and had been there for years. And, and then now this is just a few days later. And my mom gets roses that day that apologizing to the family. And so we had no idea where my dad was. We had no, we had no clue. 
And in the midst of the most darkest moment of, of our life and, and, and our mo- that, that situation, this man who had been arrested, not arrested, but had lost his job for theft and embezzlement, lies to me and tells me that he wants to check to see if my dad left a note in his office. And so he had me climb over the drop ceiling, which is not very secure, by the way. Um, I had got in for my dad that way before, and so he knew that. And so he asked me to climb over to unlock the door, and he didn't ever look for a note. He went and grabbed all the keys to the campus and to the church, and essentially looking back in hindsight, what he was doing was he was taking control of the church. He was taking over things. In fact, we had other eyewitnesses. I'm not going to get into, like I said, I don't have the time to get into everything uh, of the, the, what happened after that. But thankfully, um, many of you listen to Christian radio. Many of you hear how they have like staff pastors and they have counselors you can call into that if you need to talk to someone. And that's what my dad did. That's a true and real ministry. And they encouraged him. They said, I don't care what you do with the church. You need to get home to your family. And so that's what he did. And we um, took some time as a family, and essentially he said if they want it that bad to the point that they're going to steal documents, they're going to break into offices, they're going to go to that level, they can have it. And he resigned, and we moved on. And so now, four years prior to that, I had been injured. I had, um, uh, I had to, you know, my parents wouldn't force them to pay for it. I've been building that up. I've been calling her names. I've been against her. And now in this moment, in a moment, we're ripped from our friends. We're ripped from everything we know. Like it's literally in a moment. You wake up, you go to school, and by that night, everything has changed. You have, you, you, you're no longer going to the, the school that you went to. You're no longer going to the church that you're going to, that you were going to. You're, you no longer had that close access to your friends because there was no like, you know, Facebook and all those things at that time. There was dial-up AOL and chat rooms, but it was different. And so in a moment, everything changes. And looking back and, and remembering things and, and then hearing what was going on as a teenager, because you do then tune in and you then do hear what, what's going on, you realize this man that my dad considered a friend lies to you to your face, and now more anger just builds. More bitterness just builds. And there's nothing you can do about it. You want your dad to fight, to stand up for himself. You, you want him to defend himself. Because he's got the the proof, he's got the evidence. So why don't you defend yourself? And yet he wouldn't. And I've come to the realization now as a pastor, sometimes the the name of Christ and and his name is more worthy than our name. So we don't always have to defend ourselves because um, dragging the name of Christ through the mud is worse than our name being dragged through the mud. And so I didn't know that at the time. I was just angry that he wouldn't fight back. I was angry that he wouldn't do something. I was angry at the man for lying to me, and I really had one desire, and that was to see him in public. I didn't care how big he was. I care how old he was. So that's what anger will do to you? It, like, you don't care anymore. And so I was building that up. And so four years later, I've now uh, gone, we were allowed to go to... Um, a, 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 the, we went back to the Christian school that we had been a part of before we went. Um, We didn't have the money. My dad finding a job after that was very difficult, just locally. There weren't a lot of jobs at the time. He had to work out of town. And so the the school said, hey, y'all can come back, you and your, you know, this, uh, my younger brother and sister. But I had to go now 
early to take trash out and to vacuum floors just to pay for my education to be able to go back to the Christian school because my parents didn't have the money. And so I was grateful that the school allowed me to come back, but I had to get there earlier than all the other students to work my way through school. And so I'm back at this school. That's where I met Nikki. Thank the Lord. See how there's blessing even in, you know, difficulty. But two years later, after that, it's been another four years from that incident, Nikki and I get married um, in, in 2000. I've told y'all we've got married young and dumb. She was 18. She turned 18. Two weeks later, we got married. And I was like, look, we don't believe in divorce. I locked her down, say I'm not that dumb. I was smart enough for that. I was 19 going on 20. But we both went into uh, marriage with um, toxic baggage. She came from more of a broken home. Like I said, my parents have been married for 45 years. They're still married. Uh, We came from different expectations and from different experiences. But I came from eight years of hurt, eight years of anger, eight years of this brewing and building up in my heart and in my life. And so um, one day, all of this toxicity kind of came to a head. Nikki's dad was visiting from Maryland, and we got into a major fight. It, it was so major, I don't even know what it was about to this day. It's one of those. But, but it, was, it, it was a serious fight. It was a Saturday night, and I remember him, you know, coming in the living room and asking if everything was okay, and it's like, yeah, everything's fine. Mind your own business. I mean, I didn't tell him that, but it was like that, you know, that kind of attitude. And, and so Sunday morning was the next day, and so I'm a youth pastor and, or youth leader, and um, I, I'm, I'm leading students, and I'm teaching Sunday school, so we get there, and so we go to church, and we, we argue on the way to church. Things aren't resolved, and so, you know, y'all have probably been there as well. But, but then something happens. I get to church and I go to the restroom. And this just proves how savage Nikki is because um, I came out and Nikki had went home. She left me at church. So church gets over and I, uh, I, I get a ride home, get in my car, and I go over to her mom's apartment where she was staying in between houses at the time. And, and I'm going to find out what's going on to try to resolve this problem. You know how we do. And so I get there and Nikki's dad's standing out front, her sister's standing out front. And I'm focused on one thing, and that's just going to talk to Nikki. And so they said something to me. I ignored them, and I kept walking. And next thing I know, I'm jumped from behind. I'm between the building and bushes, and her dad is choking me out. He had his understanding and thought of what was taking, uh, t- taking place, and he attacked me. And it's a good thing he attacked me from behind because you see these guns. I've been working on them, by the way. <laughs> been working on them. But I'll just tell you, as I've I, I shared this with, um, I shared this with, uh, you know, at, at a marriage conference. I, I'll just be honest, guys, I can't speak for ladies. That just does something to you as a guy. I've been pushed from behind and injured. I've been, I've been jumped from behind and literally was being choked out. He, he was a former cop. He knew all the takedown moves. That just does something to you as a man. That, that, that just puts you in a mode like you're never going to do that again. And so after her sister pulls him off, I had him arrested. And Nikki never came out to, to talk to me. And so I left. I went up to Kentucky to, to where my parents were living at the time because this was after this with the church. And that's where he had found a job. 
And so we were literally, I was done. She bailed her dad out of jail. That, to me, told me all I needed to know. And so I'm up there, and for some reason, she called me, and I was literally on the computer. I, 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 I grew up in a Christian home. I'm working with, I'm a leader in the church. I'm sitting on the computer, and we came from a, we came from a, a background that if you were divorced, like, that was it ministry-wise. Like, you wouldn't even be considered for anything. And I'm so done that I'm sitting on the computer with a lawyer's site up, with their form filled out, ready to click submit to, some, to, to, to basically file for divorce. And the phone rang. And it was Nikki. And we didn't get along. We, 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 we ended up arguing and we got off the phone. But it was enough that God stopped me from making that click. And so here... We ended up um, working that out. We, um, uh, but, but, but during that time, we decided to go to counseling. We decided to work things out. It had been eight years since the girl injured me. It had been another four years that I had just piled up and, and built up the anger and the bitterness. And now her dad has jumped me. And so I went and bought a gun. And I have one purpose, to kill him, with self-defense, of course. I actually worked at a place, and I worked with a supervisor who trained police officers. That's what he did. That's what his former job was. And so I talked to him, like, all right, what constitutes self-defense? What, 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 how is it? I did everything I could to provoke her dad. We're working on things. We're, we're getting our marriage right. But... I wanted nothing to do with him. I hated him. I did everything I could to provoke him. I wanted him to come back at me. And I'm not, this isn't a pastor story. This isn't a fish story. This is literally, it wasn't that I had grown in hate. That hate had now transformed into murder, a murderous heart. That's what happens when you store evil and it builds and it builds and it builds. And the moment that I was attacked, it overflowed. What had been stored in the heart came out. It was the overflow of what had been building for years and years and years. And so I provoked him. I did everything that I could. And it affected. It, it was a poison that not only affected my marriage, because I told her, look, if, we're gonna, if things are going to work out, and she found out that she was pregnant in that, that like a week later, uh, after all that happened, and so it's like, hey, if, if, we're, if we're going to work out, because you chose your dad when you bailed him out, that, that's what that communicated to me. You're going to choose me now, and you're going to choose me forever because you chose him before. So now you've got to prove yourself to me. And so I wouldn't allow her to see him. He wasn't allowed to see Gavin for almost his first two years. He wasn't there when he was born. He wasn't there for, um, for all of his first year of life. And uh, if, if uh, she, she was not allowed to talk to him on the phone in my presence, if she did, it was when I wasn't there. But yet here as a Christian leader and as a, as a leader in the church, I'm telling people I've forgiven him. I dropped the charges. I went to court and dropped the charges. I, I would go to the altar and I would forgive him and I would go through the motions. But then if somebody mentioned his name, I would get angry. If it came up in the home, I would get angry. 
And I'll just tell you, if you struggle and you, you feel like you've forgiven someone, I'll just tell you straight up that if their name still drives you to be upset and to be angry, then chances are you probably haven't truly forgiven them because that's where I was. And so I would, that, that poison just began to poison every other relationship and everything that I loved and cared about. I was serving in the, the student ministry with another guy and we, something had happened on that Wednesday night that he felt like I was correcting him in front of the students or whatever that might be. And so he calls me that night and we disagreed and had a big disagreement. And I remember getting off the phone and just throwing it across the room and shattering it. That's, that's what the hate and the bitterness had done in my heart. That's what it had led to. And so it was destroying me, my marriage, other relationships. I'd blow up on people, strangers. And so I wasn't defiled by the gun that I bought. I wasn't evil because of the holes that I punched in walls or the phones that I broke. I wasn't evil because of the words that I said and thought. It was the evil I had stored in my heart that defiled me and produced those evil thoughts, behaviors, and attitudes. It was the unforgiveness that I was holding on to. And see, most people, you hear about me getting jumped, you hear about me getting pushed, you hear about all those things, you might have said, I don't blame you, I'd do the same thing. And that's exactly how I had justified it in my heart. And so we were going to church, and there was a small group, and we did them on site. And, and I forget the name of it, it was something like True Love or something like that. But anyway, I think looking back, it was probably the first time that I had truly heard the true gospel when it came to forgiveness. And I'm sitting there and the, the teacher is talking about forgiveness and talking about God's love and his forgiveness. And he goes to the verse where it talks about um, doing good to your enemy and doing good to those who have wronged you. And, and I felt righteous in that because, oh, I did that. I, I forgave him. I, I dropped charges on him. I did what was right. But then he gave the story and, and the scripture where it talks about it's he, like heaping hot coals on the heads of the person that have wronged you. And I like that because I want to do everything I could to, to hurt my father-in-law. I want to do everything I could to hurt the girl who had hurt me. I want to do everything that I could to hurt the guy who, if I ever ran into him in public, I wanted payback because he lied to me and he, he and other people had betrayed my family. I liked that. I want to heap hot coals on their head. So yeah, I'll be kind to them and to their face. I'll forgive them, you know, in, in motion and in word. I'll do those things. But then he explained that, see, the true gospel is about reconciliation. It's about repentance. It's about restoration. And so when the, the process was an old Egyptian process, that when someone was caught in a wrong they would have to carry hot coals on their head, not to punish them, but to essentially make them aware of the, the, the problem of their sin and their wrong. And what the purpose was, was to bring them to repentance quicker for restoration. And the picture with that, with the gospel is that we don't forgive people to do harm to them, to show them, to prove ourselves to them, or, or those type things like I was trying to do, or to even look righteous in the eyes of other people. Oh, you got jumped, and you got, you got injured by this person, and, and you forgave them. Look how righteous you are. 
Sure, I might have went through the motion, but there was no restoration of those friendships. I had nothing to do with those people. And so I remember sitting there and just hearing the gospel and that the true point of forgiveness was for restoration, for, for that reconciliation with the person that you're out with, that you have a wrong with. And in that moment, the true gospel convicted me. See, it wasn't about the external behaviors, and it wasn't about what I was doing externally to do the right thing. It had to be a change of heart. And the true gospel is what changes our heart. And it was by hearing the truth of God's word that it penetrated the hardness and the bitterness and all that I had built up and all that was overflowing and all that was pouring out. And thankfully, the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, gave me the ears to hear the truth, to, to receive it. And I went home convicted. And I sat there and wrestled with it for a little bit, but I knew what I needed to do. And so I began by writing a letter to my father-in-law, and I forgave him for what he did. And, and in that, I sought forgiveness because I had done evil to him in trying to pay him back. He had co-signed a car with Nikki the week that we were separated so that she had a vehicle and I couldn't take it from her and all that stuff. And I made him come take it back and he took a huge loss on it. Things like that. The things that I did to try to provoke him. And so I needed to repent. Yes, what he did was wrong. He started it. But I let the bitterness and I let the hatred build up to the point that I also sinned against him. And so I repented, and I invited him to celebrate Christmas with us that year and to come to Gavin's first birthday party. And so he did. And I'll tell you this, if he ever were to visit, and I I've, I've, I've give this caveat because I've shared this story actually more on the marriage part before, and he came in and someone was like, oh, you're dad who tried to kill Nick. And, and it, you know, that's, nobody wants to be reminded of their past and their sin. So if he were to ever come, it's not Ken, that's Nikki's stepdad, by the way. His name's Tim. Um, if he were to ever come, we're good. Like God has completely restored our relationship, like a father and son. Like we text each other, we, we communicate, like we're good, completely. It's been many years ago. But I do say that as a church because it is tempting if he were to ever come visit to go, oh, you're the one that kicked Nick's butt. Please don't do that. When I forgave my father-in-law, I received some healing. And when I did that, it, it was amazing that understanding the true gospel and understanding true forgiveness and understanding true love now allowed me to unravel the other parts of my life that didn't, it, it wasn't just about that moment. It wasn't just about that. But thankfully, God gave me the, the perspective to be able to look back and go, no, 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 no. It wasn't just about Tim, but it was also about um, Jim, the guy who lied to you, and, and, and the people who, you know, kind of rose up against your family and betrayed your family and hurt your family. The, the people who, wherever they found that my dad was going to work, would call and speak evil of him and slander us and all those things. It was an ongoing thing for years. It's not just about your father-in-law, but it's also about that group of people. You need to forgive them as well. And it's not just about those people. It's also about the girl in middle school who injured you, that you didn't forgive and that you wounded and that you tried to get payback on. 
And so it built and built and built, and that's where the truth of God's Word tells us that the evil that we store in our heart, it will overflow. That which we plant is what we will produce. And I wish I could tell you those were the, after those three things, that like I, I was completely freed. But there was one more instant, that, and I won't go through the whole thing, but essentially there was a pastor, I disagreed with a decision that he made. And so I publicly and uh, pretty ferociously um, opposed him. Other people had come to me asking for help. And, and I looked at him like he was the worst sinner in the world for many years, wanted nothing to do with him. I disagreed with what he did. I still don't think what he did was right. But at the time, I opposed him like he was the worst sinner in the world. And here I am, I was a youth leader, and I wanted to kill my father-in-law. That's how much hatred had built up in my heart, and yet I was blinded to that. And I was preaching a message, as I have done many occasions, because it's a part of who we are, about being people of the second chance, and having and extending radical grace to the broken and to those that we um, care about in our community and those who come into our church who need a second chance, who need radical grace. And I, and I had recently ran into this pastor in public, and, and I just was tired of the negativity that I felt not only towards him, but because of that whole situation. And after preaching that message, it was as if the Holy Spirit told me, you're not even practicing what you're preaching. You're telling people to do this. You're telling them to live by radical grace and to extend radical grace and to be people of the second chance, but you're not because there's one person in your life that you have not forgiven. Yet you forgave your father-in-law. That's a great story. You forgave the girl that injured you in middle school. Great story. You forgave the people who betrayed your family and who lied to you. That's a great story, but you've not forgiven everyone. And so he convicted me once again, and I'm thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit in my life because I reached out about four years ago to that pastor and said, asked him to go to lunch. And once again, I told him, I said, I don't, I didn't agree with what you did. I still don't agree what you did, but I need to ask, number one, I need you to know I forgive you. And number two, I need you to know that I'm sorry for how I opposed you because I could have done it in a more Christ-like way. But I was in the midst of this whole turmoil of dealing with my own bitterness, that poison that was destroying me. I didn't have the full um, perspective in that moment of how I needed to live my life. And so we restored our relationship and we're good today. And as far as I am concerned, there may be people who are out with me who don't like me or whatever, but I have nothing that I'm holding against anyone because I've learned not to let that store in my heart because it will lead to disastrous results. It will lead to disastrous consequences. And that's why I say it's subtle. You can see the destruction oftentimes of substance abuse or those type things. You can see very clearly. But see, that anger and that bitterness, it builds over time. And sometimes it doesn't come to the, until, until it gets to the surface, it doesn't overflow and you don't see the consequences and the results of it. I wasted, I counted it up. Four years ago, I was 38 
years old, well, I'll be 42, so I was between 37 and 38 years old when I made that relationship right, and I counted it up. 24 of my 37, 38 years was ruined because of unforgiveness, because of bitterness, because of anger. It controlled my life. It controlled every aspect of who I was, how I reacted, not responded, but reacted. It affected my marriage. It affected my parenting. It affected our family, our extended family. It affected relationships in the church. It, re, it, it affected my uh, reputation even to strangers if they cut me off or whatever, and I would react. It, it controlled my entire life for 24 years. I wasted 24 years of my life giving in to that poison. And my encouragement to you today, because it, it, it's no wonder why Solomon gave us this warning in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Your heart is the source of your defilement. Your heart is the source of your life. The source of the freedom, the source of the, the righteousness that you can live out in your everyday life. See, you can choose to store good, or you can choose to store bad. And Jesus told us, from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. Today, if you learn anything from my story, I hope it is this. Do not go home and just go and say, you know what, I need to forgive someone, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to go through the motion. Today, I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to forgive them because that's what I need to do because it's the right thing to do. No, 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 no. Please, please hear me differently today. If there's anything you learn from me today, it's this, to submit your heart to Christ and to the gospel and to let it be changed. To first start and say, Holy Spirit, change my heart. Ch change my feelings. Change all that I uh, is going on inside of me because of that situation. Be changed from the inside first. Go read and learn and study the gospel. Let it transform you. And then let that forgiveness be out of the overflow of a changed heart, out of the overflow of what God has done inside of you. Don't just go through the motions and don't just practice it on the outside, but let it be an overflow of what God has done on your inside. And maybe today, Maybe just hearing from me today, God's convicting you in that way. And say, you know what? Yeah, I need to forgive them because of how God has forgiven me in Christ Jesus. What he did on my behalf. That I need to be about reconciliation, not restitution and not um, payback. I need to be about restoring relationships. Even though we may not be best friends anymore, we might not hang out anymore, that's okay. Yes, forgiveness can be immediate. Trust takes time. So you can forgive people quickly, but it's understanding that that is an overflow of the gospel, an overflow of the Holy Spirit working in your heart and in your life. And so today, if there's anything I hope that you'll learn from me, one, do not waste your life by storing bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. It's poison. It will destroy you. It will destroy everything you care about. But it will be tune your heart into the Holy Spirit. Tune it into the gospel, the truth of true love and forgiveness as displayed to us by Christ, and let him transform you from the inside out. If someone mentions the name of someone who has hurt you or wounded you, and you get angry, 
you have nothing good to say about them, submit your heart to Christ. Submit your heart to the gospel so that he can change it. Because it's evident that there's still something there, some pain, some hurt. You can mention my father-in-law. You can mention the group that, that uh, betrayed my family. You can mention the girl. I personally went to her, and we have seen each other since, and we're good. You can mention them to me, and there's only joy. There's, there's no pain there anymore, and I want that for your life as well. So let's pray. As I pray, maybe the Lord has spoken to you through my story today, just a, a part of it, 24 years. But, I, but, but, but my hope is, as if he is speaking to you, that you will submit yourself to him today. Have a conversation with him. Ask him to heal you. Ask him to help you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your work in my life. I'm not perfect. I don't always get it right. There are times I have to look back and I have to remind myself of the gospel. We're all wounded by people. We're all betrayed. We're all, we all have had evil said against us. But Lord, it's what we do with that that matters. And I thank you that you have helped me not to store those things in my heart any longer. I thank you that your spirit is there reminding me. The gospel reminds me of the love and the grace and the forgiveness given to me by Christ and in Christ for my salvation, for my forgiveness, and for my reconciliation to you, Father. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's anything that might be shared from my life, that today people will hear from you and hear from your spirit. If there's one struggling with bitterness and anger, or maybe it's something else that they're storing in their life, that they're allowing to build up, I pray, Father, that they would submit themselves to your spirit. They would submit themselves to your word and to the, the good news of the gospel. And that they would seek forgiveness. They would extend forgiveness. Or, Lord, they would do everything that they can to run, to empty themselves of the evil and the wickedness and those things that they have built in their heart, that your spirit will help them and free them so that that might be reflected in their everyday life that what they do on the outside would be good, would be wholesome, would be righteous because it reflects what they have planted on the inside. Guard our hearts, Father. Help us to guard them. Help us to guard what we put into our minds and into our thoughts and into our, our, our value system because it is the source of our life. We love you. We thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.